Hi there, this is Taylor checking in with some conservation news from the past couple weeks for Pelicanus and intentional ecology. Working in the environmental field is an experience of some very high highs and some low lows. As always, there are horrendous environmental stories that deserve our attention, action, and mobilization, but it is our opinion that you can find those headlines in many places. But there are also empowering and inspiring stories that demonstrate major conservation successes from around the globe, achieved by real people who have grouped together to create a better planet. We've been collecting these stories and messages every week for years, and I'm still surprised at how resilient and creative both nature and humans are when facing big challenges. Hey everyone. For this episode, I have found some amazing Pelicanus news. We've got six articles for you, three in a category I'm calling Drawdown, and another three in what I'm calling Wildlife. Running the spectrum from technology and legislation to activism and rewilding, this episode is a great example of how diverse and disparate the conservation field is and what it takes to achieve meaningful success. All right, in the first one, in Drawdown, uh, I was considering calling this technology, um, but I think it's right to be in this category. Um, according to fizz.org, uh, applying rock dust to croplands could absorb up to 10 billion tons of CO2 from the atmosphere. Adding crushed rock dust to farmland could draw down up to 2 billion tons of carbon dioxide from the air per year and help meet key global climate targets according to a major new study led by the University of Sheffield. The technique, known as enhanced rock weathering, involves spreading finely crushed basalt, a natural volcanic rock, on fields to boost the soil's ability to extract CO2 from the air. In the first nation-by-nation -nation assessment published in Nature, Scientists have demonstrated the method's potential for carbon drawdown by major economies and identified the costs and engineering challenges of scaling up the approach to help meet ambitious global CO2 removal targets. The research was led by experts at the University of Sheffield's Leverkulm Center for Climate Change Mitigation and the University's Energy Institute. So for context, um, Meeting the Paris Agreement's goal of limiting global heating to below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels requires drastic cuts in emissions, as well as active removal of between 2 and 10 billion tons of CO2 from the atmosphere each year to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. This new research provides a detailed initial assessment of enhanced rock weathering, a large-scale CO2 removal strategy that could make a major contribution to this effort. And according to Paul Hawkins' Drawdown Project that dubs itself the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming, uh, compiled in 2017, enhanced rock weathering isn't even listed within the top 80 solutions, but rather listed in the coming attractions section because the research into the efficacy is so cutting edge. So going strictly by the sequestration capacity addressed in this paper, this method would rank the results around the 60th highest reduction of CO2, but this is the first time that a study like this has addressed the cost, the savings, the relative ease of application um, being explored. So super exciting in this. 
the second one in Drawdown. Federal judge rules Dakota Access and Keystone XL Pipeline shut down until environmental review complete. Coming out of the Washington Post, in a surprise decision, a federal judge ruled that the Dakota Access Pipeline must be shut down by August 5th, saying federal officials failed to carry out a complete analysis of its environmental impacts. And an April decision by a federal judge in Montana dealt a blow to the Keystone XL Pipeline and raised questions about whether the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers will have to conduct more extensive environmental reviews for other projects. To give context, uh, the Dakota Access and Keystone XL pipelines have been in in and out of the news since 2015, and in April were dealt uh, the largest legal blow. This latest is a testament to the years of committed diligence of environmental advocates and NGOs to this project. Going on to another pipeline, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline is canceled as delays and costs mount. According to the New York Times, two of the nation's largest utility companies announced that they had canceled the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which would have carried natural gas across the Appalachian Trail, as delays and rising costs threatened the viability of the project. Duke Energy and Dominion Energy said that lawsuits, mainly from environmentalists, aimed at blocking the project, had increased the cost to as much as $8 billion from about $4.5 billion to $5 billion when it was first announced in 2014. The two energy companies won a victory just last month in the Supreme Court over a permit from the U.S. Forest Service, but said the recent developments have created an unacceptable layer of uncertainty and anticipated delays for the pipeline. They cited the potential for further legal challenges. Uh, Similar to the Dakota and Keystone pipelines, this is also a highly contested oil line and environmentalists were reeling from the loss of the Supreme Court only just a few weeks ago. This cancellation of the project is also another further example that disruption, advocacy, and commitment to legal challenges actually does work. All right, moving on to wildlife. Uh, The first one in here, I love this one. Uh, According to the LA Times, endangered California condors in Sequoia National Park for the first time in 50 years. For the first time in nearly 50 years, California condors have been spotted at Sequoia. The majestic scavengers, the largest land bird in North America with a nine and a half foot wingspan, once inhabited areas stretching from California to Florida and Western Canada to Northern Mexico. They were listed as endangered in 1967 by the federal government, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. At least six condors were spotted in the park in late May, including two near Morro Rock, a popular hiking destination. Four others were seen in the giant forest, the National Park Service and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said in a joint news release. Uh, Condors historically occupied the Sierra Nevada mountains and were known to nest in the cavities of giant sequoia trees, but by 1982, the flock's population had dropped dramatically, largely because of lead poisoning, leaving less than 25 surviving condors. The handful of remaining birds were placed in a captive breeding program at the LA Zoo, the San Diego Wild Animal Park, uh, to prevent them from going extinct. Condors were released back into the wild in 1992 in the mountains of the Los Los Padres National Forest in Southern California. Uh, The best place to go for context for this is um, 
listening to our Pelicanus episode uh, of the Conservation Con- Conversations episode, Big Birds and Tall Rocks, California Condors at Pinnacles National Park. Highly recommend you listen to that. It's a great episode um, that explains uh, this wild- rewilding project. All right, the second one in, re- in wildlife is from Earth Justice. The U.S. Ninth Circuit upholds endangered species protection for Yellowstone grizzlies. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the Montana District's court opinion that reinstated Endangered Species Act protections for the Yellowstone region's grizzly bear population. The decision spares the grizzlies from plans for trophy hunts in the states of Wyoming and Idaho. Earth Justice, representing the Northern Cheyenne Tribe, Sierra Club, Center for Biological Diversity, and National Parks Conservation Association, argued for restoring protections to Yellowstone grizzly bears. An Earth Justice attorney says the court rightfully rejected the misguided proposal to subject Yellowstone grizzlies to trophy hunting for the first time in 40 years. The grizzly is an icon of our remaining wildness at a time when our wilderness is shrinking and our wildlife is under assault. Now, I went to a few places to get context for this. Um, I thought I understood this concept, this issue. Um, But actually, the best place I could find was um, the recently updated Wikipedia page. And it actually helped me, so I hope, hope it helps you as well. So according to Wikipedia... There are currently about 55,000 wild grizzly bears located throughout North America, but most of which reside in Alaska. Only about 1,500 grizzlies are left in the lower 48 states of the United States. Of these, about 800 live in Montana, about 600 more live in Wyoming and in the Yellowstone-Teton area. There are an estimated 70 to 100 grizzly bears living in northern and eastern Idaho. Uh, Now, for more of the legal history, this is really interesting to me. Uh, In January 2006, the Fish and Wildlife Service proposed to remove the grizzlies from the list of threatened and protected species. In 2007, the Fish and Wildlife Service officially delisted the population, effectively removing the Endangered Species Act from, uh, from their protection in the Yellowstone National Area. Several environmental organizations, including the NRDC, brought a lawsuit against the federal government to relist the grizzly bear. In September 2009, U.S. District Judge reinstated the protection due to the decline of the white bark pine tree, whose nuts are an important source of food for the bears. The bears were once again removed from protection by the current uh, presidential administration in 2017. It was argued that the population had sufficiently recovered from threat of extinction. However, numerous conservation and tribal organizations argued that the grizzly population remained genetically vulnerable. They successfully uh, sued the administration uh, last year, and the Yellowstone grizzly was officially returned to federal protection. And that is what this current um, legal case is. It's upholding that. Really important stuff that's been going on for years, so it's good to see that that is continuing. All right, and the last article in wildlife. The House of Representatives passed the Wildlife Corridor Conservation Act with $300 million worth of funding attached to it. This is coming from uh, the Defenders of Wildlife website. 
marking a significant step for U.S. wildlife conservation and biodiversity protection, the Bipartisan Wildlife Corridors Conservation Act, along with $300 million for wildlife crossings and provisions to support wildlife road crossings, passed the House floor as part of the Moving Forward Stimulus Package. These important provisions will both stimulate the U.S. economy and support rural jobs while also reducing highway fatalities and safeguarding wildlife. Um, I didn't know this, uh, the context for this, so this is really interesting. Um, with one in five U.S. species at risk of extinction and nearly 60% of natural vegetation lost in the lower 48 states, Biodiversity loss and disruption of natural wildlife habitats is one of our nation's greatest conservation challenges. Connecting habitats through corridors and crossings enables wildlife to access resources for survival and to migrate and better adapt to changing landscapes and climate. Reporting collisions between motorists and wildlife cause more than 200 human fatalities and over 26,000 injuries each year, at an annual cost to Americans of more than $8 billion. More than 1 to 2 million large animals are killed annually by motorists on U.S. roads, roughly one every 26 seconds. Numerous research studies show that wildlife crossing structures and fencing that guide animals over or under our nation's highways are highly effective, reducing wildlife vehicle collisions by up to 97%. That's amazing. This new act grants authority to key federal agencies to develop a national wildlife corridor system on federal public land and creates $50 million per year for the Wildlife Movement Grant Program to incentivize the protection of wildlife corridors by state and tribal agencies and interested private landowners on non-federal lands. All right, that was a lot, Um, but man, it was great. I really love these trends and I hope sharing them brings hope and optimism to your life as well. Thank you and uh, looking forward to talking to you soon.